The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I fix problems. I don't make them. Last Wednesday evening, President Joseph R. Biden reported to Congress on his first 100 days in office. You know, an annual report to Congress on the State of the Union is demanded of the president by the Constitution. But it was always just a letter until FDR fashioned the speech into a broadcast to the nation in 1936, the last year of his first term in office. The first television broadcast of what had by then become an annual address to the nation was in 1947, delivered by Harry Truman. Concerns about both COVID-19 and the security of the Capitol itself resulted in a very scaled down affair for President Biden's maiden report. Only 200 members of Congress were in attendance. Absent were most of the customary members of the military, judiciary, press, and public interest figures. It was so scaled back that there was not even a need for a designated survivor, the cabinet member who usually does not attend, just in case. You remember the television series by the same name in which Kiefer Sutherland was promoted from Secretary of Housing to leader of the free world via a well-placed bomb underneath the Capitol. In the final moments of the final episode of the final season of this do-gooder accidental president fictional show, we learned that the bomber was a senator with authoritarian ambitions. Are there some similarities to real life here? Biden's speech, similar to every other such speech from every president I've ever heard of one from, was less a deep dive into the current American condition than a political wish list. It was, in fact, the kickoff to the 2022 midterm election. If I were advising President Biden, I would have scaled back that speech itself to a discussion of his significant accomplishments in his first hundred days. Something like, hmm, the state of our union is better, but we're not okay yet. There's still vaccine hesitancy. We've given out more than 200 million doses, but that still only covers 40% of the population or less. And we've got all these COVID variants and we've got a global COVID situation. But we are, we're, we're moving slowly toward getting back to something that kind of resembles normal. But if we're not vigilant, we could slip backward. So get your shot, do your part. 
hey, but you know, the GDP grew 6% in Q1, helped along by lots of those stimulus checks that we've sent out. But still, there were too many small business closures. There are still too many people out of work. While we're working on the domestic situation, we're also re-engaging with our global allies, some direct democracy, some really straight talk with the Chinese, you know, in, in Alaska. We've had a climate summit over Zoom. Isn't Zoom a wonderful tool? We're working better with our allies. And you know, folks, we've got a lot of big ideas about how to build America back better. Right now, those ideas are pretty much in white paper format. You know, about $100 billion per paragraph. But as we get these ideas fleshed out, members of my cabinet and the White House staff will be coming up here to the Hill to work with congressional committees in regular order on getting stuff done for the American people, on infrastructure, on our supply chain, on improving education and job readiness, and a lot of other really good things. I look forward as your president to sharing this journey to a better America, a blue collar renaissance, if you like. I look forward to sharing it with all of you assembled here tonight and with the American people over the next few months. Good night end of speech. Now, that's the speech I would have given. You know, 10, 15 minutes, hold people's attention. But like his predecessors, President Biden used the time to lay out the most ambitious expansion of the social safety net in this country in the history of the nation. A cradle-to-grave strategy driven from Washington, D.C., paired with a centrally planned industrial renaissance, all supported by repaving of the infrastructure cow path. Spending we cannot afford on stuff we can barely imagine and stuff we may not need at all. Punctuated by half the room standing in loud applause at every concept while the other half sat staring at their hands. The political disconnect offering succor to our enemies and worry to our allies, more a display of a state of disunion than of union. Not for the first time either. And the television ratings, the television ratings were way down. Only 26.9 million people actually watched the speech. That's like 8% of the population. And 85% of those people, according to the Nelson Rating Service, were 55 years old or older. ABC won the 25 to 54 demo with about 1.7 million viewers. You know that 1.7 million viewers is a mere rounding error in a nation of 350 million or more people. And I bet a bunch of those 25 to 54 year olds were really tuning in for the preview for the NFL draft that was held the night, the next night. Does, why, why does this attendance and the content of the speech matter? Well, you know, what is it telling us? 
that 90% of us are done with the pandemic, although barely half of us, less than half of us have bothered to get vaccinated? Does it mean that we're ready to tune back in when Washington does something new that has an impact on our daily lives instead of talking in numbers that are so big we can't even conceive of them? Or are Americans just exhausted with the exaltations of Washington, exhausted by the political toxicity, the beltway buzz? Beltway buzz does not put food on the American table or educate our children. Trillions of dollars of spending. The national debt, for most of the people out there, it's like, what really is that? What does it mean to me? Servicing that debt? We got to service that debt? Does that mean my social security check's still going to be good? Hey, leaving Afghanistan? You mean we still have troops there? It's time for President Biden to build back better the State of the Union address itself, to reinvent the address in a way that engages the American people more directly and more succinctly. Delivering the address from the Oval Office or some other stately location so that all of Washington dumb can watch from their own living rooms, saving the viewing audience at least 15 minutes of performative applause from some portion of the chamber. Members of Congress could then use this address to organize town halls in their districts so that they could really gauge their constituents' reactions to the president's proposals in real time and gain some real on-the-ground best practices that they could take back to Washington. Instead of a laundry list, the president should focus on just a few very important initiatives. You know, and each initiative should be fully fleshed out. Who, what, why, when, where. He could then use video and graphics to bring the initiatives to life. He would, by doing that, he would prepare the citizens for the debate without prejudging the outcome of said debate. For example, and I'm just going to give a couple of really quick examples because they're easy an expanded federal child care program. So what is this? Is this intended to be an expansion of the existing Head Start program or is it something new? Is it going to expand tax credits for child care expenses that middle-class taxpayers use today, you know, to offset their costs for child care at you know, quality private sector childcare facilities? Or is it the intention of the administration to fund a new army of federal workers providing all that care in some uniform, regulated, sterile way? How long between Congress passing such a child care act would there be an actual national implementation of the program that parents could take advantage of. How is this proposal gonna be paid for? You know, and 
by paid for, I mean explained in terms that the average American can understand and more importantly, believe. So maybe President Biden could find money in the existing baseline budget that could be repurposed to pay for this program. Or maybe he's planning to offset the cost with user fees of at least 7% of gross income up to some unknown figure. Or could we just put this new social entitlement on the national credit card? Back to, do you really understand what the national debt is and how it works? So the presentation would have to be sensitive to the questions that different groups of Americans might have. For example, if you're 55 years old, you're gonna say, childcare, what's in this for me? Is it fair to me? Because I paid for my, uh, my kids' childcare and then after those, after those childcare dollars, then I could start to save for my retirement or gee, does this mean I'm not gonna have to spend my retirement being the babysitter for my grandchildren? And on the other hand, what would a 25 year old say? How will this program change my life going forward? And if Washington is going to spend it forward now, will I have to pay it back later? You know, the president could make a similar presentation about universal pre-K. You know, universal pre-K, all the experts tell us is a really good thing. And, you know, I, I think it is. I think, you know, giving kids a chance to get comfortable with the idea of school and making sure they're all proficient in English, et cetera, before they hit kindergarten would be a very good thing for the nation. But let's talk about how are we going to do it? The federal is the federal government is the Department of Education just going to do create a set of goals and objectives another no child left behind kind of program because you know how successful those have been. Um, how is it going to be paid for? Is this going to be a, a, a sharing of the cost with the states because after all the states are responsible for the payment and implementation of their K through 12 programs. So is the government gonna say, um, we think pre-K should cost Y number of dollars per pupil and send money to the states and say, gee, if that's not enough, you figure out how to do it. Or if it's too much, you, you know, uh, have at it, re repurpose some of that money, or is it going to be some more exact methodology? And I ask those questions because the next question that President Biden in his uh, hypothetical uh, State of the Union address directly to the American people would have to answer is, how are we going to pay for it? You know, again, are we going to take money um, that's already been appropriated by Congress for some other purpose like building new buildings and repurpose that money saying, oh, we don't need all of this money for COVID um, re, um, protections in, the, in various schools. And so we can take some of that money to fund this program. Or is it again, gonna be an addition to the, uh, 
national credit card or is the burden really going to fall on the states? Meaning we may not raise federal taxes to pay for it, but we might have to raise state taxes to pay for it. So these are just examples of the kind of speech that would really engage the American people. It would be less of a laundry list of promises that probably can't be fulfilled and more of a small number of intimate portraits of, of initiatives that the American people can then embrace or reject. Maybe, just maybe, such a new approach can make the State of the Union meaningful again to the vast number of Americans who believe through cynical experience that no matter what, nothing much changes in Washington. Turning an annual partisan exercise into a direct conversation with the American people in a dialogue about building back better, about renewal rather than restoration is a real beginning at building back better because the best answers are not in Washington. They're in Youngstown. They're in Bakersfield. They're in Salem, Oregon or Salem, Massachusetts. It's about renewal rather than restoration. And the State of the Union is too important to be just a campaign stop. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.